Hallelujah. God is, you know, we really have to, we've, Anita and I have gone through a loss of a number of very significant people in our lives, not a number, a few very significant people in our lives this year, as some of you, and of course we, we lost our dear brother Denny, he's one of those, earlier this year. But we need to begin to get a perspective on what life is to God for a believer. This is not our home. And we are so used to holding on to this for dear life. And this life is not as dear as the life that already is in you that God has for you. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You have eternity in you right now. The kingdom of God is in you right now. We're going to talk more about this this morning. And we need to become more kingdom-minded, not just the kingdom work, but the kingdom of God inside of us. In fact, the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you are already seated together with Him in heavenly places. You are vitally connected to the one that's seated at the right. You're in Him, and He's in you. That's our redemption. So part of you is already in heaven. Part of you, because you're one with Christ, is already in heaven. So when that time comes, you just slip out of this earth suit and you slip into who you really are, from the freedom, into the freedom that comes from being rid of this thing that gives us so much trouble. And we invest so much. I'm not ready to go yet. <laughs> but we need to have that perspective that as we as we, we, we lose people that are so close to us, we've never, we haven't lost them. We've lost this immediacy of our, of our relationship with them, but we haven't lost them. They're not lost to us forever. We will see them again, and that is our great hope. Praise the Lord. All right, let's prepare to get into God's Word tonight, this, today. Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness and Your goodness to us. We thank You, Lord, as that open the Word of God that your spirit has promised to speak to us. Not just ideas or concepts or theology, but the living word of God. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. Holy Spirit, take this word of God, breathe on it and breathe it into our hearts. Breathe this life of this word Lord, may this word become alive in us and may we have a living experience and knowledge of the God we sang worship to and praise to this morning. May we have a living experience with the Christ who's seated at the right hand of the Father right now and that He is in us and we are in Him. And may we have a living experience of the Spirit of God He's caused to dwell in us. This cannot be done by eloquent words, eloquent words, or the thinking or ideas of man, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing that's upon your word. So we rest in that. Your word says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men. All that God has prepared for those who love him. But your spirit searches the depths of his heart to reveal these things to us. So Holy Spirit, we're trusting you today to do just that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen Amen and Amen. We've been looking for quite a time now at this idea, and we're doing, I do series with sub-series in them. And the basic thing we're looking at is is pulling back the curtain. 
And the curtain refers to that which separates our awareness and our consciousness from the true reality, which is the spirit realm, the spirit world where God lives, Jesus is now. That spirit realm is real. And we've used the example if you come into a theater sometime to see a play, You'll come in and before the play starts, there's a curtain that's in front of the, the, in front of the, of the set that's behind that curtain. And you don't know what that's like. You don't know what that experience is going to be like. And there may be music playing if it's a, if it's a musical, kind of a, 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 an overture to it. But there'll come a point where this play is about to start and the curtain's pulled back or it's lifted up and now you get to see what was already behind there. And you get to see this drama acted out. Well, we're living in a drama right now. We're living at a time when there is a great drama being played out and it's being played out behind the curtain. And it's the drama that's being played out in the spirit realm. The affairs that are going on in the world today from the pandemic to political upheavals to all this ultimately has behind it spiritual forces. Demonic forces, angelic forces are at battle. There's a war. You are, we are in a war in case you haven't realized it. But it's not a war that's shot with bullets and guns, although they may be involved, but it's ultimately because by, orchestrated by spiritual forces, spiritual beings that are operating behind that curtain. And the world can't see behind that curtain, so it doesn't understand that the things they're seeing on this side are really affected and controlled by what's on the other side. But because God lives inside of us, and we can now discern, for us we have the ability to pull that curtain back and to see what's really going on in this world, to see what's really going on in our families, to see what's really going on in our own life. And we've been looking now for several weeks at looking at behind that curtain at that spiritual reality that's in us if you're a Christian. And we've seen, we've seen that, that God literally lives in you. That you have been born again. Your real part of you is your spirit being. The Bible teaches that there are three parts to you. There's your body, which is the part you're used to seeing and you look at me and we look at each other. But that's just the temporary house you live in. The real you is the spirit being on the inside, and that's more real than your body. And that's the part of you that was changed when you became a Christian. And then you have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and that's your personality. And that's an eternal part of you also. And so it's learning to roll who I am on, really on the inside. And when you were come to Christ, you were born again out of his nature, so you literally are his child in that spirit, is this child of God. And then we began several weeks ago to look at that what the Bible talks about, something that's very important for us, is that not only did God change your spirit on the inside of you, but then he put his spirit in you. We saw that in Ezekiel, I think it's 36. God said, and I will put my spirit within you. And then we looked at Jesus when he began his public ministry, and that's exactly what God did. He was baptized in the Jordan River. He came up, and it said the Spirit of God descended upon him in bodily form and then began to dwell in him. And from that point on, Jesus did all the mighty things that he did. Before that happened, Jesus couldn't do those mighty things because he didn't have the power of the Spirit inside of him. He said, but he's the Son of God. We saw the scriptures where before he came here, he set those special attributes aside 
and became born as a human being with God's spirit, God alive to God on the inside of him. But the power and ability that he used to exercise and perform the miracles, and we'll see that more clearly today, was not because he was the son of God. It was because the spirit of God came to dwell in him and enable him to do that. A very important thing to understand. Most religious teachings out there teaches you just the opposite, that Jesus did the miracles, of course, because he's God's son. He can do those things. Great. He leaves. Now, where does it leave us? But we're going to see that's not what the Bible says. You've got to learn to put religion on the side and find out what God says about himself. So we're talking about now learning to live in this realm that's behind the spirit, so that behind the curtain. So that becomes more real to us than this natural world out here. And the key scripture of this is in Galatians chapter 5. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. And we've seen that walk in the Spirit means it's the same way you walk through a day. You take one step in front of your other. It's basically live in the Spirit. What does that mean? Live your life more conscious of the Spirit reality inside of you than you are in the world around you. And that may sound impossible to you, but first of all, God would not tell us to do something He doesn't enable us to do. And then there's some things you have to learn to do, but it's a, it's a skill that you have to develop. It's not just going to drop on you. But God enables us to do it and gives us the tools to do that. And then go to the next verse in Galatians. Yeah. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. What he's saying here is if you've been made alive by the Spirit, and if you're a Christian, you've been made alive by the Spirit, now walk, live your life, in communion with that Spirit. Live your life aware of His presence in you. Live your life trusting in Him for the wisdom that you need, the strength that you need, the grace that you need. Instead of running after everybody else to give those things to you, learn to turn on the inside to the one who can give them to you and wants to give them to you as in very well able to do that. So, I want to... I this image came to me the other day when, when I was driving in here on Friday. So can you put that picture up? I understand you do have it now. You, but you, this is, they don't do it this way anymore, but you recognize this is an astronaut on a spacewalk. And I, don't, I can't see the, what, what, whether it's a, the, the Earth, the uh, space ca- uh, station, or whether it's a capsule. But here is a human being out in an atmosphere where there's no oxygen, I don't know what the temperature is, but it's well below anything his body can survive in. And he's now existing out in an atmosphere that's foreign to him. But what's keeping him alive is not just the suit he's in, but you see that gold yellow thing? It's called a tether. And what that does is that supplies him with the oxygen that he needs to breathe. And it supplies him with a communication back to those that are inside the spaceship. That's what keeps him alive, and that's what keeps him in communion with those that are in control of what's going on in there. And that's kind of where we are spiritually. We're living in a foreign territory, a fallen world, 
a world that's hostile to the God, it's hostile to the things of God. The Bible tells us we're living in a world that right now is under the control of the God of this world who is Satan. It's a temporary time he has, but right now he's the one that's in control of the spirit of this of this world right now. This we know. But he's not in control of us. But because we've been placed out into this foreign territory, but you don't belong that that astronaut doesn't live there. He's gonna come home when that when that assignment is over. He's gonna come back to what's natural to him. And when your assignment here is over, you're going to go home. Back to an atmosphere that's designed for you, and that's heaven. So I just like that image because it shows you what keeps us connected to God, and He's the source of life. What keeps us in communication with God is the Spirit in us communicates to God and from God. All right. So that's kind of what we've covered up until now. Oh, one more thing. Now, we see that Jesus explains this. You can take that down now. To, to the, in John chapter 4, the last thing we talked about, and we spent a lot of time on this last, last Sunday, is Jesus appears to this woman at a well. She's a married lady. I'm not going to go back over the whole story. But he, he introduces to her what he wants to give her. She's there to, to, to draw water into her container for that day what she needs for life and the guy she's living with needs for life. But Jesus comes to offer her another kind of water. He says it's a living water. And it's a water that, that will become in you a source of life or of water springing up. So the image is it's like a fountain or a well. If you've, We have water fountains. I think they're all shut off now because of COVID. But you know what a water fountain is. It's, it's, the water's in there. In fact, we have one in the office. You go and push a button, put a cup under it, and it fills up. So it's there as a resource to draw this out. And he's teaching her that this is the spirit in you, that God wants to put his life in you and his spirit in you to become for you a source of refreshing, to come for you a source of life. And, and because it's a source in you, you have to draw it out. You have to p- draw on that source. And that's what you do when you develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He becomes a source of this refreshing and of this life to you. But that's not all. We're going to go now over to John chapter 7. And Jesus is going to use water again as a symbol for the Holy Spirit, but he's going to talk about it differently. Now the background here is this is of the last day, the eighth day of the last festival of the, of, the, of the Jewish year. And the practice on that day was that the, high, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam, the, the stream that flows under the Temple Mount, and he would fill up a golden pitcher with water. And then they would do this processional that goes back into the temple and while they're walking along, they're reciting Isaiah 12.3, which is, With joy we will draw water from the wells of salvation. And it was a time of great jubilation and celebration as they come to the end of this great week. And the cry was, Hey, we're going to pour out the waters of salvation. And he's going to go into the temple and pour it out on the altar. And right at this moment, John 7.37 Jesus stands up at this moment 
when they're looking at the water that he's going to pour out for salvation on the temple, on the, on the altar, Jesus stands up, and on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. So Jesus is saying, No, not the temple. You come to me if you're thirsty. For I have the waters. I am the waters of salvation. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Drink implies partaking of me. Receiving me. We're not going to go into it today, but John chapter 6, Jesus goes this amazing teaching about eating my body and drinking my blood. And when he finished that sermon, the whole church left. And his staff looked at him and he looked at them and said, are you going too? And they said, we don't know where else to go. We'll talk about that later on at some point. So Jesus starts up and says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Receive this water of salvation. Verse 38. And he who believes in me, is that you? God's watching. He's listening. Is that you? If that's what it takes to get into heaven, are you, is it you? <laughs> I lost a lot of you there. We need to do an altar call. <laughs> if anyone believes in me, I don't know about you, but that's me. Look what Jesus says. Gee, the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this word heart is an interesting word. It refer, the, the, the King James says, out of his belly. And that's a, that, is it, you know, is it going to burp? What, how, what's going to happen? No, it refers to the inner part of you, which is really where your spirit's located. And another word for this is womb. What's a womb for a woman? A woman? We've got a, my daughter-in-law in, in Los Angeles is pregnant. She's five months pregnant. We get to see these wonderful moving sonograms, and he's a boy, and we, we got to see him yawn the other day. That's neat. It's amazing what they can do now. He has no privacy. <laughs> but in her womb is life imparted by God, growing in her womb. And at the right point, that life is going to come forth out into this world. And Jesus is saying, out of the womb of your heart, out of the womb of your and, and in this heart, in your heart, in this inner part of you, life is being formed. The life of God. He wants to cultivate this life in you and develop this life in you so that at the right time, it's birthed forth, bursts forth. Notice it's a very different image than a fountain or a well. A well, you have to draw it out of. A fountain, you've got to turn the, 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 the spigot or the vial or whatever it is. But a river, you don't have to do anything. It just comes pouring forth. You, if you, can, you can walk right past a water fountain and not pay any attention to it because it's very quiet if it's even bubbling at all. But it's hard to ignore a river. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? You know it's there. You know when you're getting close to Niagara Falls because you can hear it and if you get close enough, you can feel it. Yeah. Out of his heart will flow not a river, but rivers of living water. 
And who, who, who was these rivers of living water to come out of? The disciples, the apostles, the pastor. No, he who believes in me. So if you are someone that believes in him, out of your innermost being should flow rivers of living water into a world that's lost, that's dying, that's thirsty, that's looking for answers, that's looking for something real. We're living in a time where there's a generation, several generations actually, that, that are lost because they're looking for something that's authentic, something that's real. And they grow up in church with us. And then when they get to the time when they can make their own decisions, they don't see anything here that's worth staying for. Now, we're blessed we have exceptions to that. Why? Because what's on Facebook to them is more authentic. The friends that they have is more, are more authentic even though they're not real friends at all. It's interesting. We have the most insecure generation we've ever had and yet they've got access to more friends than ever before because those friends can like them or dislike them without any relationship with them. And so we've got generations that are depending for their significance, depending for their security, depending for their, on, on how many thumbs up they get as opposed to how many thumbs down they get. And you know who controls that. So what they're looking for is something that's real and authentic. Rivers of living water will flow out of those who believe in me. Well, what's he talking about? Let's go to the next verse. Oops. Oh, I get missed something here. This should be verse... Hang on a second. Verse 39, I didn't tell you that one. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus is saying, once I'm glorified, out of you should flow rivers of living water, and it's the Holy Spirit in you. So he's not just in you to bless you. He's not just in you to develop your relationship with God. He's not just in you for you to draw from. But He's in you for you to draw from and then so that His life, His power, His grace, His reality would flow out of us into a lost and dying world. There's a, there's a, a vision that Ezekiel had. Um, it's in, I think it's 37. It's somewhere around there. Where, where he has this vision of a river. He has an angel takes him to the edge of the, the, the temple. He's given him the dimensions of God's temple, not the temple that was there. And, 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 and there's a stream that starts flowing out from the altar. And he says he went out and it was ankle deep. And then the stream goes out further and now it's knee deep. And then the stream goes out further and now it's, it's becoming like a river and it's, it's waist deep, but you can still walk in it. 
But then it goes out further and it becomes so deep you can't put your feet down, you just flow with it. And it says wherever that river touches becomes alive. And in a time of fasting and prayer a number of years ago, I felt God give me that vision for this church. That His plan is that there's coming a time when those rivers of living water are going to flow out of here. Not for in here, but for out, he, out of here. And wherever it goes, it will bring life, healing, whatever life needs to be brought. But it's not going to flow out of this pulpit. It's not going to flow out of that chair. It's going to flow out of you and me. But it won't happen until we begin to develop a relationship with this Spirit who's been waiting to flow out of us all along. We're not waiting for Him. He's waiting for us. Now, let's go to John 14. Because now we're going to look at a very... This is to me... These John 14, 15, and 16 are some of the most significant chapters in the New Testament, at the very least, if not the whole Bible. Because this, we have an, we have a, 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 an insight now into Jesus' final meeting with his executive team before he goes to the cross. These are his final instructions to them. So this is so important. These are the things he must tell them to prepare them for what's about to happen. And we're going to go through this. Whoa, my Lord Jesus, thank you. So the first part of this, he's comforting them. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. Because he's about to tell them some news. He's been telling them this all along, but they're not getting it. Just like he tells us things all along and we don't get them either. So we can't point our finger at them. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Let's just stop there a second. I really felt during worship the Lord was telling me to just stop here for right now. I want to talk to you about that word mansions. Because we have these ideals and these teachings and these songs about our mansions in heaven. When we get to heaven, what our mansion is going to be. But that's not what that word means. That's carnal thinking. I'm not judging anybody. But if you're excited about what your house is going to look like when you're getting to heaven, you've missed it. Because what God's talking about here is so far beyond a, a house, a mansion. God's talking about something so far beyond that. The word that's translated mansions here is the Greek word meno, which means a dwelling place. It speaks of God's dwelling in you and you dwelling in God. The driving heart of God from the very creation of man to the very end of the Bible is to be with us, to be with his man. And by that I mean woman too. To be with his person that he's created specially. And with an intimacy that's tangible. 
So he creates this man and then a woman out of it because he needed to have a relationship like that with somebody so he would understand it. And God would walk with them and talk with them face to face. And then the sin came in. And this horrible separation from God's point of view. See, we think of it fall from man's point of view, but we don't think of it from God's point of view, what he lost when that sin came in. This is why God hates sin, because it separates him from us. It's not the sin itself, it's what it does. It creates a separation. I just want you to get a taste of how much God covets you. I want you to get a taste of what I'm experiencing. I'm exper- I've been a Christian 43 years. And I'm experiencing a reality of God in me like I never had before. And it's just, it's just a taste so far of something I've never experienced before. And it makes me hot, thirsty and hungry for more. And my heart's desire is, and this is what God spoke to me this morning, is to, is to give you a taste of it. Because once you get a taste, you're never the same. Nothing else will satisfy you. God is so real. He's so present to you. He's as close as your breath, waiting for you to open your heart to Him. So it starts with this, and then the fall separates this. And everything God did in the Old Testament was designed to prepare mankind for God to do the next step He could do in restoring His relationship with them and that was for God to become a man and walk among us. We look at this from the point of view of man. Oh, I'm so glad God sent Jesus because he saved me. I don't have to go to hell. But you don't understand, God wanted to take on human flesh so he could look us in the eyes. So he could touch people. So he could, he could be with them physically in Christ. So that he could heal them so that he could give them living water, so that he could whet their appetite, so that he could be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, Hebrews 4 says. So it's not just to save us, God wants you. Not just in heaven, he wants you in an intimate relationship with him. He wants you to know him better than you know yourself. So is that possible? Yes, because it's spirit to spirit. There's limits on how well we can know each other. Even in a marriage where we're one and experience physical union, emotional union, but there's still things in the way, even after 54 years. <laughs> but he lives in here where there's nothing in between except what's located between your ears. The wrong thinking. And he longs. John 4, 24, we've talk, talked about this before. Jesus says, you know, she's debating, you know, where, where, where we, is the right place to worship? You say in Jerusalem, we say here. He says, you missed it, lady. He says, the day is coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship where? In spirit and in truth.
Galatians 3 says, again, we worship him in spirit and in truth. But then the next verse says, for such, listen to these words, for such the Father longs for. It's not that he's looking for us to, you know, pump up his ego. It's the relationship, the loving relationship, spirit to spirit. It's not going to come through your mind. It's not going to come through your emotions. You have emotions and your mind will later on understand it, maybe, but it's the spirit to spirit experience that he's real. And he lives in you through his spirit. And he wants to take care of you and provide for you. He wants to show you things he has for you. That verse I quote so often when we're praying, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that God has prepared for you. You've never seen them. Your mind can't grasp them. But His Spirit searches the depths of His heart to reveal them to you. How much He loves you. The dreams He has for you. The plans He has for you. The life He has for you. The answers He has for you. I'm way off the notes. I can feel God's heart this morning. What's the, what's the one thing that in the Old Testament and then Jesus quotes, what's the one thing God requires of man? It's not his giving. It's not his church attendance. They'll help you get this, but that's not what it is. It's that we would love the Lord our God. What's he long for more than anything else? Our love. That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with our mind, with our might. And then love our neighbor as ourselves. What's God? All He wants is your love. But it's not the emotional love. It's a spirit-to-spirit love. And that's only going to happen as you learn to get in the spirit. So I'm whetting your appetite this morning. I'm showing you there's something out there for you if you've never experienced this. Maybe you're walking it far beyond me. Praise God, that's wonderful. You may be looking at me like I have three heads this morning. That's okay. Just don't tune me out. Because it's the Holy Spirit who reveals these things to you. But you've got to give Him the opportunity, which is why we've talked about putting God's Word in you. Because that's the seed He uses to open your heart, your spirit, to receive what God has for you. God's Word. I've got to move on quickly, then we'll close. Oh, we've got to close. No, we're going to stop here. Let's just pray for a minute. See, this is only going to happen. Again, you may be looking at me and listening to me either online or here and say, what in the world is this guy talking about? That's okay. Let me put it this way. If the Spirit of God can get this through to a stubborn, 
German lawyer. What you laughing at? Then he can get it through to anybody. You just have to be open. You just have to be open. Remember, oh, the, he, he says, and, and then at the end, of, the end of all of this, so God comes to dwell among us, and that's to prepare us so that there's a time when he's coming back to establish his abode here. And it says in that new Jerusalem, God will physically be among us. His heart's desire will be satisfied because he'll be back with mankind the way he was in the beginning. This whole Bible from beginning to end is to restore back that relationship that God created in the beginning because that's the desire and the passion of his heart and that's why he was willing to pay the price of his own son to have you and me in this kind of relationship. And then Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, wake up, look. I stand at the door and knock. It's not like you've got to track him down. He's at the door of your heart, knocking at the door of your heart this morning, saying, will you open your heart? Just open it. And my Father and I will come in and we'll sup with you. That means we will relate to you with you. When I was a successful lawyer in Boston, we had a good marriage. We had two kids, Chris, and then we had Emily, and we were, everything was just set. We had a nice house and a very fluent community outside of Boston. Everything was wonderful, and I'm going to go through the whole story. But God began to pursue me through various different people and means. And every time I had an objection or something, God had an answer for me to open my heart up. And I got to the point where I was under such struggle to decide what to do with this Jesus. And I was in agony. I would try to talk to him and I couldn't get any answers. And finally one night, everybody's in bed. It's about one o'clock in the morning. I can still see where I was. I was standing in the foyer of our house at the bottom of the stairs. And I just looked up and I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're real. I really don't. And what I realized, and this was his grace, I was afraid to find out he wasn't. And suddenly, this shows you how the Holy Spirit works. Suddenly I realized I'm better off finding out that he's not real than live in this agony the rest of my life. So I put him to the test. I said, Jesus, I'm being honest with you. I don't know if you're real or not. I really don't know. I just know I can't live like this anymore. So if you're real, this was my great step of faith. If you're real, you can come into my life. I'm sharing that with you because it was not some great spiritual moment. It was not down at an altar, although I did that later on. It, it was literally, it was literally, a, a, I opened the door this much. I mean, there's no great faith in that. I opened the door this much. But the moment I finished saying those words, something began to come down through me. I began to feel something come down through me. I'm getting goosebumps again as I think about it. I just know, I, don't, I couldn't understand what it was. 
But I just knew something was changing inside of me. A life was coming into me. And I'm, fine. I'm still in my three-piece suit. I'm jumping around my living room. He's real! He's real! He's real! He's real! My mind didn't understand anything. But the reality, the presence, the physical, the spiritual presence of Christ had come into my heart. And I've had ups and downs since then. I have had times of doubt. But there's always been this in me. And I'm sharing that with you to tell you this morning. He's standing at the door of your heart. And you may have been a Christian for 30 years. But you've only got the door open a little bit. You may, you may be comfortable with where you are. You may be struggling. But he's still at the door because he wants to bring more in. He wants to bring the reality of his spirit in. He wants to be so real to you that you'll talk with him throughout the day. He wants, you, wants to be so real to you that you will never fear again. He wants to be so real to you because then he wants to flow out of you rivers of living water. As I was getting dressed this morning, I was thinking of a book, a little tiny book I read years ago called Practicing the Presence of God. Some of you know it. It's written in the 1600s by a man by the name of Brother Lawrence. That's all we know about him. And he was the only thing, he was a, he was a monk. The only thing he was qualified to do was to do PK kitchen duty in the monastery and to go purchase the food that they needed. And he was clumsy and he was awkward. The least of the monks in that monastery. And I was thinking today, but he, this book was written about it, from interviews that someone had with him about his story of how he learned to develop a walking, living relationship with God on the inside of him. He just practiced God's presence. He talked to him every time he did something. So if he dropped a spoon, instead of saying how clumsy I am, he would pick it up to the glory of God. He would talk to God through everything he did. And by doing that, he became more conscious of God's presence. And he talks about this process. It took work. It took a discipline to keep doing it. But gradually, the reality of God's presence inside of him became so real. And I was thinking this morning, of all the illustrious monks we'd had, he had in that monastery... There was whoever the guy was that was in charge of it. We don't remember, know any of their names. But we've known the name of the least of all the monks, Brother Lawrence. Why? Because he had a living experience with the God they had all given up everything to worship. But he knew his God. It's interesting. John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus said, and this is eternal life that you have perfect church attendance? No. That you've given away everything? No. This is eternal life, that they should know you and him whom you sent. That they should know you, a living relationship with God, is eternal life. Let's pray. Father, this morning, you're giving us a taste. Even if it's just to realize, to 
become dissatisfied with where we are. Even if it's just to begin to have a desire for something that they're hearing about this morning. Thank you. Thank you for you come to us to draw us to yourself. And Father, my prayer right now is that in this week that lies ahead, that the words that we've heard would not lie dormant in our heart, but that your spirit would whet our appetite, would open our understanding to begin to see the things that we've, how, where we are, and that you re- help us to understand that you'll come and meet us where we are to reveal yourself to us. And so we say to you, here we are, Father. Here we are. We open our hearts to you this morning. We hear you knocking. We open our hearts that you would come in and begin to live in with us. We know you're in there, but we want to experience you, to know you, to fellowship with you, to talk with you, to hear from you, to share with you our disappointments and our hurts, and for you to share with us the things that bother you and affect you, that we may truly walk with you and with our Lord through the Spirit. And so we have to trust the Holy Spirit to do what we can't do ourselves. We just say, here we are. We're answering your call. Come in and reveal yourself to us. Satisfy those deep longings of our heart. The light of your love drive out the insecurities that we may be whole from the inside out and healed from the inside out filled with your life from the inside out. And for this we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.